Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Welcome to Man Challenge. Any of you new guys that are here as a first-timer, we'd like to welcome you. And just want to tell you briefly about Man Challenge, uh, like what we're trying to do here. Man Challenge is simply a tool um, that's part of something greater. Uh, we, are, we believe that God calls us as men, this isn't a, a male chauvinistic statement, it's biblical, that God's calling us um, to be equipped to, to, to raise up a group of men, an army of men, to lead the charge with whatever he's calling um, our church to be about. And so that's our role, and Man Challenge is a tool to help us do that. We have four different values that we charge after. One of those is to help develop every one of us a next step of faith. And currently, we have 12 guys last week. Most of them were up here on stage, and we prayed for them at the beginning. And this week, right now as we speak, uh, we have 12 guys their next step of faith is over in the Dominican Republic with Go Ministries. Uh, they're uh, taking part of a mission trip. They're on day three um, today, and so they're not with us today because they're over there doing that. And so there's all kinds of different um, next steps of faith. That is one example. And I do wa- just want to go ahead and uh, tee this up. We are pursuing two men's trips uh, per year with, as a ministry. They're over there right now. Um, October 22nd to 29th. Uh, Hunter Sin, this guy in the front row, and myself, we're going to be co-leading our next trip group of men. And so if that's like, hey, you know, I've always wondered uh, what that'd be like, man, see one of us. Uh, We'd love to talk more about that. We're going to start registration and application process in just a few months in May. So we'd love to have you part of that um, to to be a part of what God's doing over through Go Ministries, a a missions partner for us. Um, Today we are talking about Wisdom and health. Uh, we started a new series here recently on, about Solomon and wisdom. Solomon was known as the wisest man ever to live. And I think it's interesting in today's text that he starts off by asking for wisdom. Um, the wisest man ever to live um, started off by asking for wisdom. So that's maybe something we want to jot down and take some notes on. Because James, James 1.5 says, If any of you... Lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And so I think we're going to see this morning that it starts with asking, which takes humility, takes a humble posture. And so uh, really excited for us uh, to dive into God's Word there. It's, It's funny how there's different examples of the word wisdom and all the different things it means. When I was thinking about that, uh, first, the first thing that popped into my mind was the Three Stooges. Any of you guys remember the Three Stooges? Back when, uh, back when uh, Curly, not, not the other dude, uh, but, but Curly was on there. Man, that was his go-to line was, uh, wise guy, yeah, yeah, right? And so uh, that's not the kind of wisdom we're talking about. We're not talking about going out of here being wise guys um, today. We're talking about leaving here today and unpacking things that will help us grow in wisdom, uh, which is also something that Jesus uh, modeled for us. Today we have a very special guest teacher 
He's actually part of our staff here at Southeast. He's our executive pastor. And so would you give him a man challenge welcome with me, Tim Hester. Yeah. Hey, welcome, Tim. Man. What, what is that? We're just trying to confuse you this morning. Um, Duly noted. Yes. <laughs> hey, Tim, how long have you been on staff here as uh, executive pastor? Nine and a half years. Nine and a half years. Uh, you started two weeks before I did. And let's not forget that. And we don't. We don't. We don't. Um, tell us what your, like, executive pastor, what does that mean? What is, what is your role in practical terms? Uh, so in practical terms, uh, I get to lead the staff while we execute the strategies that the elders approve. And how many staff are on staff here? Full and part-time, about 550. 550. Sounds easy. Um, <laughs> any hobbies, personal hobbies? Just reading. Reading? Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of that, what's your, do you have a favorite book? The out? Servant by James Hunter. The Servant by mm -hmm. James Hunter. Um, what about a favorite movie? Band of Brothers. It's not a movie. It's a miniseries, but so many great lessons on leadership. I've watched it probably 20 times. I'm a slow learner, but uh, I just absolutely love everything that is in that thing. Nice. And what about favorite food? Mm, anything that's sitting across the woman I've been married to for 37 years. There you go. I like it. Which, speaking of, for 37 years, you've been married to Margie. I have. Right. And she's been married to me. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Doesn't always go both ways, but, um, you know, one of the things that when we ask somebody to teach here, um, one, we want to make sure they have the gift of teaching um, to where we're setting a person up to, to teach from their wheelhouse um, so that we're not apologizing to you guys. But another thing that you guys wouldn't know is behind the scenes, there's lots of talented people who's, uh, quite frankly, even in the church world, their charisma has outkicked uh, their character coverage. And so we really um, try our best to make sure that whoever we put out here um, to teach God's Word, to tee up God's Word, is not a poser, not somebody who maybe is really smart, um, but they're not trying to live this out. And so I just wanted to share this with you, um, one, um, but also with you guys to know that this is a guy who's truly trying to live out um, whatever topic he's teaching in today on health and wisdom. We asked Margie, his wife of 37 years, uh, what her favorite thing is about you. And here's what she said. One of my favorite things about Tim is the way he loves me. He listens to me and honors me. He makes me laugh, and I count it a high compliment when he laughs at my jokes. I see Jesus reflected in him in the way he loves people. Even when he doesn't agree with someone, he tries to understand them. He's committed to the truth of God's word, and that makes him trustworthy to me. And then uh, how many kids you have? Uh, Twelve. Twelve kids. Um, well... Uh, his two favorite kids said this. <laughs> favorite defined as responded. Uh, they, they just went way up, man. <laughs> so favorite number one, obviously, Joanna. Uh, she oh, said really? this. She said this. She's, and she's in Poland right she's now. She's living in Poland she's right now. She's on a 10-month, 10, yeah. year, 10, month, 10 She year said, my favorite thing about, about my dad is his enthusiasm for literally everything. And she said, I see Jesus reflected in dad through his humility, the grace he gives us kids, and his unconditional love for us. And then from Lydia, she said, I love that my dad loves to learn. So he knows something about everything. You can ask him about anything, and an interesting conversation is sure to follow. 
He's also great at listening when you, uh, when, when you somehow have something new to teach him. Dad is great at seeing and thinking about people like Jesus. To him, no one is defined by their sin or anything except for being a human and, more importantly, a child of God. Fellas, we are privileged to hear from Tim Hester um, because this is a man who, behind closed doors, is trying to live out this message. So let me pray, and we'll turn it over to Tim. Father, thank you for this man. I thank you for these men who chose to position themselves um, early on a Thursday morning to dive into your word. And so thank you in advance for how you're going to use this morning um, as a catalyst, um, as a springboard to send us out of here um, better equipped to follow you as you define the word better equipped. And so thank you in advance for using Tim to tee up this conversation from your word. I pray for our table leaders for a spirit of wisdom and discernment as they're helping their men unpack these truths today. We give you praise for it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim Amen. Hester, everybody. Amen. Thanks. Well, that really was a surprise. Um, that means all the complaints I had about my wife and kids I have to take out of my notes now. So, so. there's none of that whatsoever. Um, hey, it's really an honor and a privilege to be here this morning. And I'm, I'm going to... I'm a, I'm a pretty, you, you, you know, you, you get me. Uh, you know, I'm going to be pre pretty transparent about some of the things as I kind of walk through this today. I'm really, I love this passage of Scripture that we're going to kind of walk through. And if you uh, have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and open up to 1 Kings 3, which I think was listed in there. We're going to walk through that. And I'm going to share a little bit of my story as we walk through here. I, it's a little bit intimidating to talk about wisdom, um, but... Uh, because, you know, people have a tendency to then judge you by it, so please don't do that. But uh, if you don't hear, and I make a lot of these types of statements, you don't hear anything else I say. You know, so I'm making that statement. You don't hear anything else I say. If you want wisdom, live in the book of Proverbs. That's why the book was written. So just live in the book of Proverbs. I've got several Bibles that I've gone through over the years where uh, I've gone through a proverb. There's 31 Proverbs, one for each day of the month, and, you know, and, and I just take notes. And depending on the topic that's on my heart for that day, um, I will ask the Lord, Lord, show me wisdom about fill in the blank, whatever that is. Maybe I'm having trouble with, uh, you know, something here at, at uh, church, and I'll say, would you give me some wisdom about this? And they read through that proverb for the day. It's un unbelievable how many times... Wisdom pops out of that specific proverb for whatever that particular uh, issue is. And, and one of the reasons that it works is because I don't know about you, uh, but oftentimes when I get into a mess, I want to just go search Scripture to find the answer specifically to whatever it is that I'm going through. God, there's got to be an answer in here somewhere. And I find oftentimes that what God does is He teaches through the principles of Scripture, not necessarily the specifics of my situation. Do you ever find that? And so in order to, be, to understand what the principles of Scripture are, you've got to live in the Word. You've got to be able to know what it says. And Proverbs is a great starting point when it comes to wisdom. So if you didn't hear anything else I said, remember that. Now let's walk through a little bit of this scripture. Before we do, I want to start by telling you a little bit of a story about how I came to be uh, here on staff, or actually, more importantly, how I felt like it when I did. I've been here for nine and a half years. Uh, I was 49 years old when they asked me to, full, to step into this position. And, and I did not apply for the job that I have uh, I, as a matter of fact, I, from the time I was in high school on, I never asked for a single position in, in leadership. Uh, what I always did was I just said yes. If somebody asked me, would you do whatever, I would say 
Sure, even if I didn't know what I was doing. And sometimes that's unhealthy, and there are reasons for that I've, I've uh, had to deal with. But then other times it turned out that, no, I was, I was uh, on a pathway that God had me on for leadership. So I was 49. I was so excited for this journey. I'd already had, uh, you know, I'd, I'd owned a, a business for about 20, I think at the time, 21 years, 22 years. And, and, uh, uh, and I'd had that journey for that time, and, and the business was going really, really well. And then they surprised me and asked me if I would, if I would do this. And so um, I was really excited, but I was also extremely intimidated. I was extremely intimidated because they, they didn't ask me to come in and, 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 and take a position somewhere you know, in the middle of the organization. They asked me to come in and be at the top of the organization. So that was really, really intimidating for me. I, I was a business guy. And, and here I was surrounded by men and women who had been called from a very early age to fulfill a full-time vocational ministry position. They trained their entire lives to be here and to be able to lead people into deeper pathways with, with Jesus. And, and that isn't what I had done with my life. I'd done it as a lay leader. So, I, you know, it wasn't like I was starting from zero, but I sure wasn't starting from where I was asked to serve. So I don't, I don't know if you've ever been put in something to where you literally were underwater as soon as you stepped into it. But, but if you have, I just want you to remember what that felt like. Because all these people that I was now serving alongside, and uh, I was suddenly, and in fact, they were my leaders. These were my pastors. These were my ministry leaders. These were the people that I walked alongside, and I went to, and I asked for help. And suddenly, if I went from one day serving alongside or underneath them to now I was their leader. That was really intimidating for me. Um, and, and I remember... Right before I started that, I remember one time, uh, uh, you know, uh, just asking myself, what in the world have you done? Just in a moment of, of rawness. I knew 25 years before I started my position that, that I, I wanted to be in full-time ministry, but I'd already had a couple of kids, and so it was a little bit tough to stop and go to seminary and, and you know, and, and, and go in reverse and do all those types of things. So um, I, God just had a different path of learning for me. So he put me in the business world and beat the snot out of me while I was there. There were so many things that I, I had to learn about myself and about life. And, and while I was there, God was really, really there. I was totally inadequate for this journey. And yet, nine and a half years later, I'm here. And, and I have to tell you, um, if I'm honest, I still feel very, very inadequate. It feels almost like in the last three years uh, that what we did is we were, we were going down the interstate at the normal speed of 75 or 80, whatever you drive on the interstate, and then suddenly we took a, a, a left turn and now we were on a NASCAR track. That's what it felt like. And when I first started nine and a half years ago, we had three total campuses. One of them was brand new, and now we have somewhere around 14 campus expressions, and we have the Country Lake, of course, and, and all that. So you... And you can imagine just all of those changing those movements and all that stuff kind of keeps you off balance a little bit. So yes, I still feel extremely inadequate for the job. But oftentimes, you know, when I'm feeling inadequate or if somebody says something to me that makes me feel that way, you know, I, here's, here's what I remember. I remember I, and I, my prayer is always, 
you know, God, I can name you five or six people that right now could step into my role here at the church and they could probably do it far, far better than I could. And I think that's true. I think there are just different aspects of my job that just not really necessarily in my wheelhouse, but others could step in. And depending on the season, that might be more important than what my gift set is. And then I'm always reminded, but today, today, it's my job. Today, it's mine. So I'm going to do it to the very best of my ability and I'm going to ask God every single day, what do I do now? And so that's kind of how I go about surviving that. And I'm going to unpack a little bit more of some of the personal things that I've kind of gone through as I've gone through that when we, as we walk through this scripture. Today I'm going to deal with about three different topics and they're going to line up with the questions that you have at your table when, you set, uh, when we get to the end. and As we walk through this text, then I'll pull those things out. And the one, one of them is the lens. I'm going to challenge you with the lens with which you view your responsibilities. How do you view your responsibilities when you go, go about doing them? Secondly, I'm going to challenge you on how adequate you feel or inadequate. I do happen to think I've lived a pretty good amount of time and I spend a lot of time with people and helping them walk through some of the things they're going through in life. And one of the things that I have learned is that we all have self-esteem issues. Some of us are just pretty good at hiding them. But at the end of the day, we all have these areas where we feel extremely inadequate. And, um, and I think we have to be honest with that in order for God to be able to shine through. And the third thing that I'll touch on lightly at the end is contentment versus entitlement. Contentment versus entitlement. I wish I had an hour on each one of these topics because I could tell you just how God used circumstances in my life to help me to understand these things as I've kind of grown. So I'm going to read through the entire text and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to break it down in a little bit of bite-sized chunks, okay? So, so hang in there. Uh, so starting with verse 1, uh, you know, again, if, you, if you're not there, 1 Kings 3, starting with verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking around excuse me, by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry, on, carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you've asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I'll do what you've asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you've not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you'll have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I'll give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings 
Then he gave a feast for all his court. Let me pray real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us to be able to learn. And Father, I pray that today you, through your Holy Spirit, will do much through the power of your word. Take the inadequate words that I might have prepared or I might say, Father, and instead let men hear your heart through your word as we unpack it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just a couple of background statements. We have to assume that this is obviously pretty early in Solomon's reign. And it's really interesting what David said about Solomon when he chose Solomon to be the king. If you were to go back into 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Then King David said to the whole assembly, this is when David's getting ready to exit the scene, he said, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. He's young and inexperienced. There's a real key lesson there that I'm just going to skim over real quick, and that's this. Your experience is not what qualifies you, it's your calling. And that's what it says very clearly here. Your experience is not what qualifies you. It's your calling. If you are in Christ Jesus and he taps you on the shoulder and he says, this is your assignment, that is the calling and that's the qualifier. That's what qualifies us. And you can see right, right there, for those of you who are in leadership positions, you can see right there, it's kind of game on between a secular or a worldly system and a biblical worldview and a godly system. Because our standards are different right off the top. And therein lies a tremendous amount of the clashes that many of you feel when you're leading whatever organizations or areas you might be responsible for. And most of the time, where we go for wisdom and how to be able to lead is not the Bible, but these secular places that we go. And to be sure, they work to a large degree. Why do they work? Because most of them are rooted truly in biblical principle. Well, why don't we go to the source document first and let's go there. And then everything that we read and study on how to be a better leader can be weighed against God's ways and not our ways. So that's one of the first things that I think we need to um, unpack. Remember, he was young and he was inexperienced. So you can imagine how Solomon must feel. That's why I started this talk with the story that I gave you. Because you can imagine how it feels to step in and you have no idea what it is that you're stepping into. At this point in time in the, in the kingdom of Israel, uh, researchers and scholars say that it's probably when the, the kingdom of Israel was at its peak, about 5 million people. About 5 million people, and that's when, where Solomon is stepping into. And so uh, putting that in some context that you and I might understand, that's about uh, leading a church that's about 200 times the size of Southeast. So, so that's what Solomon was kind of walking into. So, so keep that in mind as we unpack some of these scriptures. You look back in, in verse 1, and I will not crawl through all of them. I'll do them in blocks and chunks. But there's just some background information, I think, that helps to inform us. The very first thing we learn about in verse 1 back there is that, is that Solomon makes an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. I, I mean, if you know anything at all about Jewish history, doesn't that seem a little odd? Because weren't those the people that enslaved the Israelites in the first place that they had to escape from? So that's kind of weird, uh, it, but he makes an alliance, and then he also does something else that's kind of a foreshadowing of something that, was, that later on kind of turns around and, and bites Solomon a little bit. He marries Pharaoh's daughter, so he did not marry within the Israelites. He, he didn't marry within his tribe. He married this foreign wife. Now, that ends up really messing with Solomon because that's the beginning of something that he just perpetuated throughout his his, uh, his reign as king. And you think about this. I mean, we, we kind of like the, the, the ladies that we hang around a little bit, don't we? And so what we have a tendency to do is we kind of have a tendency to want to do whatever it is that they want to do so that we can please them. So she's outside 
of the Israelite, not coming from a godly community, and Solomon marries her. So do you see what Solomon's now done? He's just taken just a little bit of a step away from the influences of his father that kept him pure in terms of following the Lord. And now he's got a little bit more of an influence that starts to maybe turn his head just a little bit in the wrong way. Okay, So this, that, that is something that Solomon kind of repeats uh, over and over again. So let's look at verses 2 through 4. People, however, were still sacrificing at the high places. The high places were the common places for idol worship and cultic practices. Now, remember the reason that Solomon was doing this. It goes on to say because the temple had not yet been built in the name of the Lord. David wanted to build the temple, but uh, God didn't allow him to because of some sin issues. So Solomon was going to build the temple, and it hadn't been built yet. So Solomon still needed a place to be able to worship. So where does he go? He goes to the common place where everybody worships. So, you know, the text doesn't really inform us to say that, well, what he was doing was inherently wrong. We know, though, that there is another one of those things where Solomon was doing the right thing in the wrong place. He's doing the right thing, and he's doing it in the wrong place. So while he's up there worshiping and all these other idols and other cultic practices are going on, idol worship, then Solomon, again, is being encouraged to step a little bit further away from the way that God would want him to. Because, you know, whoever you hang around is who you become. We all know that, and that's really a true thing. So you can imagine that that's kind of what was happening. Verse 3, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and he burned incense. Anytime there's a burning of incense, it's symbolic of prayer. So he was doing praying and, and lifting up those prayers to the Lord on the high places. In, in, um, and in verse 4, the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. What I love about that particular verse is this. It shows Solomon's dedication to the Lord. A thousand burnt offerings is a lot. Solomon was wholly committed to doing the best he could to offer, uh, to sacrifice uh, to the Lord and to show his devotion to the Lord. So it really shows that he really wanted to do the right thing. And to remember, he was young and inexperienced, so he was doing what he knew. And I think that's when the Lord looked at him and said, Okay, I've chosen him, and he's trying his best to do the right thing. So I think I can pour into him a little bit more. The Lord notices that Solomon's doing the right thing, and, and then here's what happens. Verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine if, if, if you had this dream or if the Lord spoke to you and said, ask for whatever you want? So, in, in a mo I don't want you to share this out loud, but, but just in a moment of time right now, what would you ask for? What would you ask for? I mean, here's the, here's the good news for us because of everything Jesus has done for us and because, you know, we do have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us once we've accepted Christ as our Savior. You can ask for whatever you want. You can do that. The question is, what is it? What is it that you're asking for? Can you imagine? I, I just wonder what was going on in Solomon's head. So let's look and see what he says in verse 6. Solomon answered, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. So here, here's something that I, 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 wanna, I want us to realize. Do you see how many times he refers back to David? He's done this a couple of times in the passage already. Fellas, generations matter. Generations matter. 
In fact, if you, when you go back and you start studying lineages and all those types of things in Scripture, you see it was one of the ways that God showed His favor on men was He gave them a great lineage. And it really does matter. It, it, one of the things that I've observed as I've been now in the ministry for this amount of time is that it's amazing when you see these generational handoffs from, you know, uh, from a, a Ken Eidelman to a Kyle Eidelman. And you look at the increasing impact, if you will, from one generation to the next. Why? Because Kyle was raised up in that, in that, that way of thinking, in that way of living. It's just the way their family is. And when you look at the entire family and, and how they're engaged in ministry, is it any wonder? Generations matter. And if you're like me, my, my, parents, they weren't, my parents weren't really into church. I think they were believers, or they are. My dad's still alive. He's 89. And I know my dad's a believer, but they were, that wasn't really what defined us. As, but when, you know, when I got married, uh, Margie and I, we, that, that was a huge commitment that we made. So our children have been raised up in this way of living, in this way of thinking. I just wonder what might happen a few generations down the road if we just keep generationally handing the ball off. And what I also love about that is that Solomon recognized that. Hey, my dad tried to do everything that he could to be upright. And because of that, God, you've blessed me which is another piece of humility. You know, you're the sum total of everything that God and others have poured into you. And when you approach life that way, it's real easy to be humble. You know, somebody taught you to read. Now, you may have been a good steward of that after you learned, but somebody else taught you how to do that. You ought to be grateful for that. And we live a life of gratitude because of that which other people have poured into us. Generations really do matter. Verse 7 now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father, David. But again, he's acknowledging where he is. He says, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Please note Solomon's utter transparency. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. And here's, here's the beauty of it. God, in this passage, is giving us a great example. Yes, he's got utter transparency before the Lord. Because I don't know, guys, I don't know. You know, sometimes it's awfully hard even to confess our sin to God. I remember when, when I was in college and, and um, uh, you know, I was a Christian, but I, I wasn't necessarily living for the Lord as strongly as I should have. And, and I came home from uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of college and, I, and I, I went to a Christian concert. I won't tell you who it was. You won't even know him if I told you anyway. Uh, okay, I'll tell you. How many, okay, honestly, right? How many of you in here have ever heard of Dallas Home and Praise? Yes, thank you. I need to speak up for those of you who just raised your hand because you've got to be of a certain age. It's a concert that I went to, and I'll never forget sitting in that audience down at the Louisville Gardens, and when he got to the altar call and he asked for recommitments to the Lord, and I mean my heart was pounding out of my chest. I knew this was my moment. And so I raised my hand sheepishly, and he called us down into the little decision room. And so there's a bunch of us down there. And the first thing he said was, hey, if, this is, if you're coming down here and this is your, uh, you, you are rededicating your life to the Lord, you should never have to do this again. This is it. And, and I mean, can I be honest with you and tell you, I took that to heart, and I've never had to do that since. And the reason that I didn't was because the way that he set up his altar call was I was sitting in this arena with everyone else and he said, hey, some of you guys are just running from God. You're just running. You're not being obedient. You know that God wants you to live a certain way or do certain things and give, you, and, and give him your whole heart and you're just not doing it. But let me just share with you. If you think you're running from God, you're sorely mistaken. He knows everything. He already knows. 
Now that sounds extremely logical when I say it. But man, when it's you, and you hear somebody say that, and it's your time, and you know that he's speaking to you, you got no choice but to respond to that. And that's what I did. Man, I'm grateful that I did. And it's been hard at times to continue that long road of obedience. I was 19 years old when I made that recommitment. And I'm 59 today. I know I look very young for my age. So it's been a long time. And I've, I've tried my best just to stay steady. Because I was honest in that moment. That's me. And i got to tell you something. I'm a pretty prideful guy. It was very hard to stand up as one of just a handful of people in an arena that had several thousand people in it. There was no hiding. He said, stand up right where you are. And to make it worse, I was sitting beside my sister who knew everything about me. And my pride was just kicking in. But I stood. I stood. Utter transparency. Utter transparency. I'm only a little child and I don't know how to carry out my duties. Solomon was admitting his inadequacy. Guys, guys, can't hide them. Got to deal with them. I got good news for you. You are, so, you are wholly inadequate to do some of the things God's called for you. And here's the good news, and Jesus makes up the gap. But he can't make it up if you're not going to be honest about it. So, I mean, you ever have those moments where it's just you in the mirror? You know, it's a symbolic mirror, but, but hang in there with me. It's just you. And you're in your mind. Now, you can go a couple different paths with that. You can certainly go down the path of self-deprecation, and you can go into the rabbit hole, and, and you can stay there. And, you know, sometimes that's an easy route to take, and you kind of get stuck in that. It's not the route that God would have you to take. And Solomon gives us the clue about how to how to come out of it. Sometime right after I started my position here at Southeast as the executive pastor, about two years in, I had a well-intentioned, uh, but uh, well, a not very self-aware staffer that I was uh, doing some road with, he and a couple of other folks, and he looks at me and he says, you know what people say about you, don't you? And I said, um, no, I really don't. And he said, um, say you don't know what you're doing. That was an ouchy moment. And they were, they were more right than they were wrong, and that's why it was such an ouchy moment. What I didn't know was I was leaking. I, I, I really didn't know that in certain areas that it was really, really obvious. I had no idea what I was doing. So, you know, for me personally, it was, it was, it was a, a, an honest and a raw moment because it hurt like crazy. It just hurt. It hurt my pride. It hurt everything that I was, you know, trying to cover up inadequacies and that kind of thing. And here it was just being exposed in the middle of a non-consequential or an inconsequential conversation and, and, and I was having to be confronted with it. I remember moments like that, it's easy for me to, to go back and, and think about, man, what, why did I do this in the first place? And right, after I, I was, or right before I was getting ready to start my job, I remember having a conversation with Kyle. And, uh, and he, he said, hey, so are you excited? And I said, yeah, I'm a little nervous, you know, and that kind of thing. He said, well, we, what scares you about this? I said, what I'm, what I'm afraid of is the day that I park myself behind the desk for the first time, I don't know what to do. And he just laughed and said, oh, you'll figure it out. Well, that was my job description, guys. You'll figure it out. 
I still don't have a job description. I'm still figuring it out. But I would tell you something. When Kyle said that to me, that meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me because he didn't make that big of a deal out of it. And he was speaking into the fact that but you're called to it. You'll figure it out. So a little word of encouragement. Be encouragers. Be encouragers. See, see that good stuff in other people and just, just say it to them. Because you never know what it means to the person that you're saying, saying that to. So here's what Solomon says after, uh, you know, God saying, ask whatever. I'm only a child. He says, verse 8, your servant is here among the people you've chosen. A great people, too numerous to count. Remember, about five million. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who's able to govern this great people of you? See what just happened? Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for honor. He did not ask for health. His first thought was for those people that God had asked him to lead. And here's what was interesting about it was is that Solomon acknowledged they are your people. They weren't Solomon's people. This is a big problem. Big difference between sort of a, a worldly system of leadership versus a godly system of leadership is, is that a worldly system of leadership says, you are in charge, therefore lead these people. And a godly system where Jesus came into in Matthew 25, he said, if you want to be great among the people, be the servant of all of them. Now, we really know, guys, we know that that is a principle that Jesus teaches, right? I mean, you've heard this a thousand times, but there's a whole big difference between what you know and what you live. And the question is, how do we allow that, to, how do we allow that transformation to take place? And that's going to be another question I'm going to ask you to grapple with. When you are given that task and that responsibility, whatever it is, what is the lens that you view through? Do you view it through the lens of how it's going to impact God and the people He created? Or do you view it through, just get the task done so that I can add this to my accomplishments and my resume? Which lens do you look through? And some of us are gifted more in one area than the other. That, and that's totally good and fine. We should be using our specific gifts. But the question is, what are you going to do? This is what Solomon said. He's the king. He can ask for whatever he wants. What are you going to do? He said, I need to be able to lead these people of yours. I need wisdom. I need discernment. I need to know how you want me to do this. And I had to cross that bridge in my business life, guys. Because I real, there came a point in my business life where I realized that what I was doing was I was looking at my employees as tools to make a profit. And when you no longer could provide me with re adequate return on investment, which is the purpose of a business, then you were no longer a useful tool in my toolbox. And I could go get a different one. Now, I've made that overly simplistic. But that is what God convicted me personally of. And I love people, but what I'd done is I'd contextualized, I'd put my life in different containers. And when I was in the business world, I had to do what the business thing was supposed to do. And therefore, this was my job. I hired you to do a job. If you can't do it, then you're out of here. And I was really convicted one time when I read the story of a businessman who owned a factory and he had a particular foreman that was a really good worker. And then all of a sudden his work began to fall off and they had to put this worker, this foreman in this, in this manufacturing plant, they had to put him on performance improvement plan. And after a few months, he didn't improve. He kept, he'd, he'd done some things that he just normally weren't what he would do. He came into work late. Uh, he, had, he was very lethargic while he was at work. And so they fired him because he couldn't, Fulfill his performance improvement plan. And the day they fired him, there was a revolt in the cafeteria. And the owner found out about it. And he does, does a little investigation said, what in the world is going on? And they said, well, you fired him. Yeah, he wasn't doing his job. What was I supposed to do? 
He said, did you know that his, that his wife and his daughter both have cancer and they're in different cancer centers in different cities and he has to drive his wife to one in the morning and drop her off and then go drive his daughter to the other and that's why he's late every day? Did you know that? No, didn't know that. And that business owner wisely reinstated the man into his job and gave him freedom and flexibility to take care of his family and paid for all of his medical bills. And when I heard that story, that true story, I was so convicted about how I looked at my people. And did I know them and did I really love them? And love is not an emotion. An emotion is something that follows after you love someone. Love are action steps of sacrifice that you take. And when you take those action steps of sacrifice, wherever your heart is, or wherever your investment is, your heart will follow. So you invest your treasure, your heart follows, the emotions come. You don't lead with emotion when you go to love people the way that Jesus loved them. Jesus paved the way for us when he was on the cross and he's looking down at all the people in front of him and he says this, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And who is he asking to be forgiven? The people that were murdering him. And when I find that people are irritating to me, I ask myself that question. Do I know why they're irritating me? And is it about me or is there something going on in their life that I don't know? God, give me a wise and discerning heart to be able to know who is it that I'm dealing with here. I love this one at a time deal that we got going on here, folks. Our vision at the church is to unleash the full force of the church to love people one at a time. And I oftentimes remind myself and my staff that I get to meet with. Your kingdom assignment is whoever's in front of you right now. Are you loving them? When you walk away from them, will they feel that you love them one at a time? The Lord was pleased with Solomon. He said, since you didn't ask for all those other things, I'm going to give you that and then some. And I'm paraphrasing to save, save some time. God gave Solomon more than what he'd asked for. He blessed him because Solomon was focused on other people. And this part of the passage was a little challenging for me because can I be really honest with you? Here's what oftentimes happens to me. I will ask God for the bare minimum of wisdom I need to be able to make something happen, but my expectation is for the and then some. My expectation is, is that, well, God, I did what you wanted me to do. And so what I know is by, by scriptures like this, that if I ask you to do things and I'm good and I, and I do all the right things, you're going to give me more than I asked for, right? Exceedingly more than I could ask or think, right? And when God doesn't deliver that, what happens to me? My contentment level drops through the floor. But God, what? And so that's going to be another challenge for you. I don't have time to unpack a lot of that, but... I hope you understand the principle that I'm trying to show you there is that oftentimes we view God to be the and then some God instead of God, would you just allow me to be like the Apostle Paul said, content in all my circumstances, whether I have a lot or I have a little, please let me be content. By way of illustration, just one quick story and then I'll be finished here, guys, and let you guys talk around your table. So we're having all these kids, right? And yes, we're crazy. That's okay. That's a, people say, well, why are you teaching on wisdom? You had 12 kids. Well, anyway, uh, so we're having all these kids. And, and my, one, my oldest son had this best friend. And, and at the time, I was living in a, in a uh, you know, a, a, it was uh, all in a, a, about a 2,000 square foot house. But it was 1,100 square feet was, you know, the upstairs and downstairs basement was 900 square feet. And at the time, we had 10 kids. 
you know, that were living in this house. And my, my son's friend uh, lived in Anchorage. That's all I'm going to say. So the, 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 my, my son's friend, his mom drives him over to our house, and I get out in the, in the driveway to greet them. And when I get out, I kid you not, the, the, the mom got out of the car, looked at my house, looked at me, looked at my house and said, so this is where you live. Yep, this is where I live. What she didn't know, and I'm going to be really honest with you about, is that, can I just tell you, that was a battle for me. I was, I was, the Lord was trying to teach me contentment. Tim, are, are you okay when people pull up to the curb of your house and they look at that little thing and know you've got all these ten kids? Are you okay being content that this is what I've provided for you? Because I wanted a big house. And I wanted a big house for the wrong reasons. I wanted you to know I was winning. I wanted you to know that I was making it. I was young and inexperienced. And I felt wholly inadequate. And God was gracious enough to say to me, and I need you to not worry about what other people might think of what you have or have not accomplished. What I need you to be is content in the circumstance I have you in. And that sweet lady from Anchorage really illustrated that. And I had joy in my heart because I could confidently say, yeah, this is where I live because this is what God provided for me. I wasn't living in and then some. So then the last part of that scripture, by the way, I find interesting. Solomon awoke. He realized that he'd been in a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. He didn't make his sacrifice after God had done all that for him in the high places. But he went to the Ark of the Covenant. It's just a small little hint that Solomon, whose heart had been turned a little bit this way because of his influences around him. And now God had spoken. God had given him great answers through this dream. And Solomon, course corrected and put his heart before the Lord in worship before the Ark of the Covenant. So guys, real simple. This week, every day, pray, God, would you give me wisdom? That's it. Because James 1.5, Ronnie quoted it. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So pray that simple prayer. God, today, would you give me wisdom? Let me pray for you and then we'll throw up the three questions and then you guys can kind of go at it. And let me just say it's been just really life-giving to me to be here with you all. Thank you for being the example that you are and showing up at 6 o'clock every week and just trying to learn a little bit more about this, this God who sent His Son to save us. It's so encouraging. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you teach us through your word and, and what you allow us to experience. God, today... Would you give us wisdom? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, then there are your questions. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, 
reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.